Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today we will be reading from 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. If you do not have a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisles now and we'll be happy to give you one. If you do not have a Bible at home, please take this as our gift to you, or if you know someone who needs a Bible as well. Again, we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13, and if you have one of the Bibles just handed out, that is on page 897. Please follow along as I read. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has taken his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or of the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we get to come here today and listen to Pastor Mike as he preaches on this section and to give us more understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, good, you can have a seat. My name is Mike Lee, and I get to be the pastor here at Mission Valley Church. If today is your first Sunday, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, if you and I have never met, I would love to do that. And so there's a couple ways that we can connect. The first is this. I'll be happy to meet you out in the lobby right afterwards. We can shake hands out there, hug, fist bump, whatever you're into. Uh, another way that we can connect, fill out one of those connect cards. Turn it in at the info table, uh, and somebody will get that to me, and I'll be able to reach out to you uh, uh, this week that way. And then the third way, if you want, send me a text or call me, 602. 763-3331. Uh, you can just do it that way. Uh, if you didn't get that, stop by the info table or ask somebody around. I give it out every week. If you need something, uh, I'm happy to be there. So uh, today we continue in this series that we're calling Corinthians Lead by Example. And what we're doing is just looking at, we're just looking at Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. 
And as you could see from, from what Mitzi just read us, this is kind of a, this is a tough one. This is, this is like, this is why we preach through books of the Bible. And it's why we don't skip over stuff because, well, we're going we're gonna to talk about hard stuff today. We're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about a lot of that stuff. Uh, as we were looking at this section, we, we said that there's a, a lot of stuff in this section of, of, of Scripture that we've been looking at. And we've been looking at it through the lens of leadership. And that's why we titled this Corinthians Lead by Example. And so this passage has has been helpful because we've identified so much leadership happening for the people of this church. There's so much leadership. You all are involved in so much leadership. Of, of course, inside the church with the elders and the staff and the, and the team leaders and community group leaders, there's, there's so much of that. And then outside of the church, uh, husbands and, and fathers and, and mothers and, 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 and all kinds of people. And then in addition to that, out in the world, some of you are, are managers, your bosses, you have all these different leadership things going on. And in both places, Christians have been called to lead, whether it's inside of the church or outside of the church. If you are a Christian, if you have believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you have been called to lead. You lead when you go out into the world. You lead when you teach people about Jesus. You lead when you baptize them in his name. You lead when you disciple them to follow him for the rest of your life. And so if you came in here thinking, well, I'm not really a leader, and so this, this stuff doesn't really apply apply to me, I would tell you, if you are a Christian, you are a leader. And so it very much does apply to you. And so in the first week, we, we talked about what leadership is, and we said that it's mostly a responsibility, that those people that lead, that step up to lead, they are taking a responsibility. Last week, uh, we launched a brand new group at the church, a brand new group. Uh, it meets on Sunday nights from four to six. It's for parents that are trying to like just get a, a, a good, solid biblical foundation for how they're going to parent their children. And so Dave and Lynette Reber stepped out and they said, we're going to lead this group and we're going to take responsibility for these people. We're going we're gonna to help them. We're going to disciple them to, to raise kids in a godly way. That's what they're going to do. They, they said mostly, we're going to be responsible for this thing. And so they've asked the people to trust them, and they've taken responsibility for them. And then we also talked about something that you and I will need for biblical leadership, that we'll need humility, that, that it takes humility to step out and say that. It takes a lot of humility to say, like, like Dave and Lynette did, hey, we're, we're going to lead this group, and we're going we're gonna to lean heavily on God. We're going to lean heavily on Jesus, on his word, because we're not qualified to do this on our own, but we're going to figure this out. Uh, when Dave first came to me, he said, we, we have an idea that we think maybe God's calling us to do something, but we're not 100% sure that we're qualified to do it like in, in ourselves. And that's fantastic. There's humility in that. Right? We said that biblical leadership is important and it requires humility. And then last week we got to talk about the fact that all of us as Christians, while we may lead, we also submit. That Christians submit to biblical leadership and that we do so that, so that it would go well for us, so that we could be cared for. And because it's this gift, we talked about all these aspects of leadership. And today we get to talk about sin. Today's the sin sermon. And I'm glad you're here for it. We get to talk. It's so good. I, I'm so glad that we can just talk about sin. We say this in my house all the time, and we really mean it. We say, hey, just let the truth flow. It, we, can just do, we can do anything with the truth. Once we know the truth, just throw it all out on the table, and we'll deal with it that way. And so I can truthfully say that I want to be the kind of church where we could just talk openly about sin. Like, this is sin. This thing that's happening, it's sin. Hey, that thing in your life, it's sin. It looks like sin. It smells like sin. And it's going to be bad for you. And so I'm glad that Paul in his letter spends chapter 5 talking about sin and specifically we get to talk about what Christians do with sin. What do we do with sin? What do we do? It's, it's real. It's out there. What do we do with it? It's a sin sermon and I'm glad you're here for it. 
So here is what go, is going on in this church in Corinth. This is what's actually happening. This, this church, is, it's just real people. If you ever start thinking about, like, these Bible times people must be so different than us, they're not. This is a real church made up of real people uh, in a place called Corinth, right? And, and this is what's really happening. Christians who believe in the life, death, and resurrection, Christians, those who make up the body of believers at this church called Corinth, are sinning. They're sinning. They're actively sinning. And this is not surprising because all people sin. It's not surprising at all. I mean, you all sin. I mean, like I, I heard about it. Like I know what's going on. I'm just, I, I don't really know. But I got a pretty, pretty good idea, right? There's some sin, right? I, I get it. And, and, and these people are sinning. And that's not surprising at all because people sin. What is surprising, what is surprising enough that Paul wants to address this in this letter What's surprising enough that Paul wants to, to correct this in his letter is that the people are so explicitly and openly sinning. They're just expressively and openly sinning as though it's no big deal. They're, they're sinning like, hey, it's just no big deal. This is just what people do. This, this constant sinning. And it's even maybe even more surprising how comfortable everyone is with it. Sin is so rampant. This is, there's some sin that's going on in this church that's just so rampant that the people are like, well, this is just what we do around here. It's just how it goes. This kind of thing happens. And I mean, here is what's like really going on. There is literally a case of incest going on in the church. A son is sleeping with his father's wife, and nobody seems to be bothered by it. It's like, well, I don't, I don't know. That's just what Joey does. He's weird. I don't know. He sleeps with his dad's wife. I, he's Joey, what are you, you going to do with him? Like, they're just like okay with it. And there's all kinds of manner of other sexual immorality going on, and everybody in the church just seems to be really comfortable with it. Like, well, I don't know. It's just what those people do. They, they do that kind of stuff. And it's so significant. This sin is so significant, and it is so, like, it is so bad that even people outside of the church would be like, whoa, like, you can't do that stuff. Like a, a Roman contemporary of this time named Cicero spoke about how some of the sins happening at the church at Corinth would not even be tolerated in Rome. Like, hey, some of that stuff y'all are doing in the church, man, we wouldn't even do that stuff in Rome. And in Rome, anything went. Like, if you look at Roman history and what's going on back there, man, it's like kind of a free-for-all. Like, whatever you want to do, like, whatever makes you happy, get after it. And those people are like, but that stuff that's going on in the church, that's bad. Like, we'll do anything over here, but like those people, man, that's crazy. It's really bad. And the church knows about the sin. They know about it. It's, it's out in the open, and nobody seems to care. They, they, it's so prevalent, and they know about it. And so some of the people, when they send Paul these letters asking about what to do, they're saying, hey, Paul, like a lot of what the, the letter to the church in Corinth is, is a response to people reaching out to Paul saying, hey, what do we do with this? Like, we're not sure how we're, we're, we're using the Lord's Supper right, or we're not sure that we're worshiping right. And by the way, there's like incest happening here. Is that okay, Paul? And Paul's like, No. No, none of that stuff is okay. Stop it. Stop it. He's, he, he's saying that this isn't good. The church has become so passive with this sin, so comfortable with this sin, that they're basically accepting it. They're like, well, you, you, you know how just those people do some bad stuff. And what they're essentially doing is condoning it. And so Paul is writing this portion of the letter to say, stop it. Stop it. We don't do that. We don't condone sin. We don't accept it. We don't put up with it. We don't, we don't shirk away from it. Neither did Jesus. There's nowhere in all of Scripture where Jesus walks up to somebody who is sinning and says, hey, it's no big deal that you're sinning. Just keep sinning. 
Every time Jesus encounters sin, he'll walk right up to it, he'll confront it, he'll love the person, and then he'll say, leave here and stop sinning. Jesus never winks at it, it's never okay. And you might say, well, that would never happen these days. Like, that would never happen these days. Nobody would ever just allow sin to happen in a church and not address it. And I would say, do you ever read the headlines? I mean, do you ever read the headlines? I would say, have you looked at the abuse scandals that have been unveiled in the last several years? Have you looked at the people who would admit that they have turned a blind eye to abuse to protect powerful people? But before you get all upset at the they, before you start looking at the they, take a closer look and say, are there areas that we're not addressing sin? Are there areas in your own life where sin has crept in and you have gotten comfortable with it? Are there areas in your family where sin has crept in and you have become comfortable with it? Are there areas in your community groups where sin have crept in and you've just been like, well, it's just sort of the way it is. Is there sin in the church and we are just comfortable with it? And if so, as the pastor of this church, let me say clearly, quit it. Quit it. It's of no use to you. It's so bad for you. Here's what I want you to know today. Biblical leaders don't condone sin. Biblical leaders don't condone sin. And if you are a Christian, you are a biblical leader and you do not condone sin. You don't. You don't condone it. You don't accept it. You don't, you, you don't approve of it. You don't passively think it's okay. And so as we look at this passage today, I want to make just five points about what biblical leaders do when sin comes. And the first is this, biblical leaders recognize sin as sin. The first thing that a biblical leader will do is they'll see that thing and they'll say, that thing is sin. And they won't call it something else. They'll say, that is sin. This is what Paul says. He opens up this portion of the letter. He says, hey, like I'm just going to call it out. Like We don't need to like hide behind it. We don't need to act like this isn't happening. Let's talk about it. Let's get real here. Let's do real life. Let's have real talk. This is what happened. He says, it is actually reported. It is actually, some of you all have told me. Paul's like, I'm writing this letter for somewhere else, and you all have told me in a letter that this is what's going on, that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. This is the non-believers of the world. This is the, the Romans of the world. They would be like, well, that sin is so bad in the church, we wouldn't even do that over here. Like the, the, the Sleeping with your dad's wife, that's bad. They were like, we wouldn't do that kind of stuff. And he says, and a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul says, you're calling. You're, 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 you're calling. Yeah, there's no phones. You're writing to ask me, like, hey, what should we do with this? And I'm telling you, like, like, why are you not over there? Like, oh, my gosh, this is really bad. Paul says that there is sin, the sin that's happening in the church. And it's so bad, there is sin that's so bad that even those that don't know Jesus wouldn't do it, and yet it's happening among them and nothing is being done about it. And worse than that, they're getting arrogant about it. They're, they're arrogant about it like it's no big deal. Like, hey, Paul, like if you get a chance, like if you, I don't know, man, if you, we're trying to figure out what to do with Joey, you know, he's got the incest going on, you know. If you get a time, maybe send it, drop us a line, let us know. I don't know if Joey was the guy, right? I'm just making up a name. Friends, we need to recognize sin is sin. It's not an indiscretion or a bad habit or a struggle. It's not something that's because of who we are or how we were raised. It's not something that's associated with, with who we are or because, of, because it's the kind of Enneagram we have. We're just that kind of person that sins. We're like that number that just sins a lot. Sin is sin, and it always, always, always leads to death. And so we need to recognize it for what it is. 
Sin is that thing that leads to death. James writes this in, in, in James chapter 1, verse 15. He says, Then sin, when it has conceived, gives, or then, sorry, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is what happens. When you have a desire, an ungodly desire, and you don't check that, the Holy Spirit doesn't check it in you, your friends, your community group, when you have this evil desire and you, you act upon it, that is sin. And what will come from sin is death. Like it's the only thing sin can grow into. Sin grows into death. When sin is full grown, it, it's death and it kills stuff. And it always, always kills stuff. Like it can't grow into anything else. Sin can't grow into like mostly a, an important lesson or, or whatever. It might be a lesson, but it'll be a lesson that's associated with death. When you see sin, you should think death. And I think if we thought of sin as death as we should, we would try to stay away from it and we would certainly want to recognize it as quickly as we could. But oftentimes we won't even call sin, sin. Oftentimes, as Christians, we will justify sin. We'll say, well, it's not that bad. Or it's not as bad as that other sin I could be doing. Or it's not as bad as that other sin I see other people doing. It's just not that bad. Or we'll say, well, it's just, it's, it's just who I am. Or, or you don't understand how I was raised. Or, or you don't understand it's just part of the way that God made me to, to just be a sinner. And I would tell you that sin is sin and it always leads to death. So the first thing that we need to do as biblical leaders is that we need to recognize sin as sin. It's not an indiscretion. It's not okay. It doesn't belong amongst the body of believers. It is not for Christians to do. We do it, but we should recognize it right away. And then after we recognize it, after we encounter it, whether we encounter sin in our own lives or whether we see sin in the lives of our spouse or whether we see sin in the life of our kids or if it comes out in our community groups or on our service teams or in our church, what do we do when we see sin? Well, this is what we do. Biblical leaders confront sin as sin. Biblical leaders will confront sin as sin. They'll call that thing out and say, hey, that's sin. Let's just talk about it. Let the truth flow. That thing is sin. Like we, we don't need to call it something else. It's not a bad habit. It's sin. It's not a guilty pleasure. It's sin. It's not, it's not like just, it's not just fun conversation. It's gossip and that's sin. We call sin, sin. We should just get good at that. We should turn and confront it. When we turn and confront sin with the truth of the gospel, sin will lose its power quickly. This is what it says in verse three through five. He says, the, he, Paul, he's going to confront it here. He says, for though absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And is, if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing, who is committing this, this, this immorality. He said, I've already, I've already made judgment on that. He says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul is confronting it. He's saying, hey, we're not going to just act like this isn't going on. Somebody go talk to that guy. One of you go talk to them. He's like, are, are you kidding me? There's biblical leaders there. There's Christians there. And you're letting this happen in and among the body of believers. And nobody's walked up to him and said, hey, stop it. That thing you're doing is wrong and it's going to lead to death. All sorts of death, all sorts of problems. Nobody's going to say anything. Go say something. He said, the next time you get together, go say something. I would tell you that Christians confront sin. 
He says that that thing that's happening, it can't happen. He says, and I'm making a judgment that what is going on is wrong and it cannot be permitted. And that those who have permitted it should not have permitted it. They should have confronted the sin. And now Paul is confronting the sin, demanding that the church confront the sin too. Church, we need to be a people who confront sin. Where there's sin in our personal lives, you've got to confront it. You've got to pray and say, God, I have sinned against you and you alone. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've, I've done the wrong thing. I know what you wanted me to do, and I didn't do it. I've gotten greedy, or I've gotten lazy, or I'm living off mission, or I've become an angered person, or whatever it is. I'm watching things I shouldn't be watching. You should confront that. Here's how sin works. You'll be running away, and sin will be chasing you. And you'll think you're getting away with it, and you can't. You'll, you'll be fleeing from it, and it's coming down on you. It's bearing down on you, and you've got to turn and face it. You, if that sin is coming, you've got to turn and face it. You've got to just do it. You've got to confront that sin so that it loses its power, so that it can no longer harm you, so that it cannot make things worse. Where there's sin in your marriage, confront it. I'll tell you this right now. Penny is far more bold than some of the brothers at the church in Corinth because when she sees or suspects sin in my life, she confronts it, and I'm better for it. I don't know what it would be like to be married to a woman, to a partner, that would just let me live in sin. And she'll say things sometimes like, hey, that sounded like pride. Was that pride? Like, maybe it wasn't. Like, hey, you, you told me how many people were at church today. Was that pride? I hope that wasn't pride. And I'll be like, you know, you know what? It, yeah, yeah, it was a little bit of pride. Said, Whoa, good thing we caught that early. Good thing we caught that early, right? Some people will come up and tell me, this happens every now and again. Some people will come up and tell me, hey, that was a good sermon. That was a good sermon. And I'll get in the car and I'll say, hey, like three people told me it was a good sermon today. And she goes, don't let that be pride. Do you? You, you do recognize that it was only God speaking through you, right? Yeah, honey, I got, I got it. I'm so thankful for it. We need that in our lives. Where there is sin in the lives of your children, confront it. Don't justify it. Don't call it something else. Don't excuse it because of their age. Look, here's the thing. Sin is trying to bring death to your children. You can't look away and act like it's not happening. You can't look away and be like, well, it's no big deal. Dads in the room, moms in the room, if a grown man was trying to harm your little boy or your little girl, you'd stop it. If a a grown man was trying to hurt your child, you'd stop it. There's no way you'd let that happen. A dude just walks up to your little girl or your little boy and tries to hurt them, you would step in and say, no way. And yet we, we turn a blank eye when our kids are sinning. When they're sinning, even though we know it will lead to death. Where there's sin in your community group, confront it. Where there's sin in your service team, confront it. Where there's sin in the church, confront it. And where there is gossip, judgment, read, uh, 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 malice, anger, wrath, sexual immorality, laziness, a lack of hospitality, a lack of love, arrogance, confront it. Confront it. Turn and confront it. Confront it in love. Confront it in love for sure, but confront it. Sometimes we have become so comfortable, we become so comfortable with sin that we are willing to offend God so that we don't offend our friends. We're willing to just offend God all the day long. It's, hey, God, sorry, it's just like that down here. God, you won't understand. We're so afraid that we're going to offend a friend. I'm telling this, confront it to let a spouse child or brother and sister in Christ, sin without confronting it is one of the most unloving things you could do. 
Sin will kill. And how could we stand by and watch that happen? And when we confront sin with love and truth, it sounds like this. Sweetheart, I love you. But that sounded a lot like jealousy, and it's not good for you. Sweetheart, I love you. That sounded a lot like jealousy, and that's not good for you. You have all that God says you have. You confront it with the truth. It sounds like this, babe, that, that sounds like anger or pride, and that's not good for you because God is righteous, and you don't need it. It sounds like son or daughter. That, that sounds like lust, and God has such better plans for you than that. It sounds like, bro, that looks like adultery. Stop it. Stop it. God has a good plan for you, and it can't be found on your computer screen. This is what it looks like when we confront in love. It looks like, girl, that sounds like a lack of faith. Stop that. God has never let you down before, and he won't start now. Church, confront sin, especially in your own life, but also in the lives of other believers that you're close with before it leads to a bigger death. Before it leads to a bigger death. See, when we don't confront sin, we get comfortable with it. When we don't confront it, we get comfortable with it. We, we, we get comfortable with it. It, it, it. It's like what happens, it's like what happens if you've ever seen this before. If you take, uh, if you take a, like, a, like a lobster, right, or, 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 or a frog, and you're trying to cook it, you know, it's weird, but, but if you do that, if you put it into water and you turn the heat up slowly, it'll never try to get out. But if you put it in while it's boiling, because it just gets comfortable, the water just gets warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer, and then it's comfortable with that, and eventually the warmer water gets warm enough and it kills it. But if you try to put something like that, like a lobster, into a boiling pot, it'll try to get out, right? It'll try to get out. That's what sin does to us. As we get comfortable with it, it just turns the heat up on us. It just turns the heat up on us until it eventually kills us. Don't get comfortable with it. Biblical, number three, I think I want you to know, biblical leaders don't excuse the sins of Christians. If you're a biblical leader, if you're a Christian, if you have been bought with the blood of Jesus, you don't excuse the sins of of Christians. Far too many Christians get comfortable with sins. We get comfortable with the sins of our Christian friends. We get comfortable with friends who speak harshly, who judge others, who get angry, who are sexually immoral, who lie and cheat and steal, who live like they don't know Jesus. Paul says it like this, your boasting is not good. Your boasting is not good. You're so comfortable with this, you're almost boasting in it. Well, yeah, we got sin around here. You know what this looks like practically? This looks like the guy that's like, man, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I can still get down. You know, I, I'm a Christian, but I can, still, I can still party with the best of them. Bro, you don't have to party with the best of them anymore. You, you don't have to do that anymore. That's not who you are. That's, you're a new creation. Right? You don't have to be that way anymore. Hey man, hey, man, I'm a Christian, but I can still cuss like a sailor. Well, why? why? Why would you do that? You don't have to do that anymore. You've been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. You are a new creation. This is what it said. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul gives an example here that goes back to the Old Testament. He gives an example that goes back to the Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible that happens before Jesus, and he talks about the Passover festival. 
Uh, this was the celebration of the time when the Jewish people were living in slavery in Egypt and they were passed over when God sent the angel of death to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians. That's, that's what happens. And, and if you want to read about it, you can read about that in the book of Exodus. If you don't know where that's at, I, I wish I had time to go into it, but I don't. But for, for today, you can know that what's happening is that people celebrate this every year. They have a Passover festival. And when they would have this Passover festival, they would make unleavened bread, bread that did not have yeast in it. And to get ready for that, they would literally clean their house from top to bottom, getting rid of all the old yeast of the house to ensure that none of it accidentally got into the, into the bread. They would literally like sweep their house out, clean their house out to make sure that all the yeast was out so that while they were making the Passover bread that no, like, no yeast got into it at all. And so Paul is saying that as Christians, we are that unleavened bread. And if we are hanging out with and associating with Christians who are living in sin, if we're hanging out or spending time with these Christians that are, that are living like they don't know Jesus, we are in danger of being polluted with the things that they're doing. If you're hanging out with Christians who are living in sin, you are in danger of starting to get so comfortable with it that you might start to do it yourself. And more than that, we are in danger of ruining our witness to the world. Now, I know that's a churchy phrase, uh, ruin our witness to the world. That's a churchy phrase. I got you, Janine. I'm going to explain it right now. Janine will tell me in staff meetings, don't be using churchy phrases without, without explaining. I'm going to explain it. This is what it's like. Just give me a second. You're ruining your witness to the world. Uh, here's what happens. Once you're a Christian, you're saved, and nothing can change that. Like, once you are a Christian, you're saved, and nothing can, can change that. I talked to somebody this week, and she said, hey, I, I believed in Jesus, and I became a Christian, but what if I screwed it up? Like, what if I mess up? Can he, like, unsave me? No. Like, once you're a Christian, you're saved. You can't lose salvation, right? But here's the thing I want you to recognize. The devil has two plays. Like, if you were to think about the devil as somebody that's playing a game, right, he's got two plays. The first play is to keep you from becoming a Christian. And when he has failed at that, when you have become a Christian, when Jesus has saved you, his next best move is to make your witness, your life, your story, your testimony, your example, so weak that nobody else would ever believe in Jesus by looking at you. That's his next move. That's what he wants to do. That's what he would love to do. Uh, and so what's happening here is that Paul is saying, I don't want you to be associating with these people that are telling other people that they're Christians because the world is going to start thinking that that's how Christians live. And we don't live like that. We don't live like that. We don't lie and cheat and steal. We don't live like that. We don't commit sexual immorality. We don't do that. That's not why Jesus died for us. It's not like if we could ever get our lives together, then Jesus would save us. It's that Jesus saved us, and now because of that, we live differently. We live compelled to live more and more like him, and Jesus didn't live like that. And he's saying if you're hanging out with these people, and the other the, the, the non-Christians in your world, in your neighborhood, in your city are watching that, they're going to be like, well, I, if that's how Christians live, why would I change? Practically speaking, think about it like this. I am trying to share what I know about Jesus to a guy that I work with. There's a guy that I work with, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm, every opportunity I get a chance, I'm talking to him about Jesus. I'm inviting him to church. He's a, he's a grown man that doesn't know anything about Jesus. He's got three little kids and a wife, and I know it would be so good for his family. And if I had the power to make him believe, I would. But as I'm telling him about Jesus, as I'm inviting him to church, if what he sees in me is somebody who speaks harshly, someone who treats him unfair, someone who cheats him or steals from him or, or has immorality in my life, and then I tell him that he should believe in Jesus who changed my life, I'm going to look like a hypocrite. 
He's going to be like, well, if that's what Christians do, I've got no interest. It's why I hate it when Christians drive around with bumper stickers on their car and then cut people off and flip them off. If you're going to cut people off and flip them off, take our sticker off your car. Don't do it. I don't want, pe- I don't want people getting a bad taste in their mouth about Jesus. Right? I hate it when people do that. This side note. This is why Paul says a little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. This is why he says that like a little, little yeast will, will leaven the whole lump of dough. If you, if you are associating with that kind of stuff all the time, it'll be seen in your own life. And so Paul says something that's so hard to hear. Here it is. Buckle up. This is hard. Not my words. This is what Paul. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and the swindlers and idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reveler, a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. He says, I don't want you hanging out. I don't want you associating with. I don't want you eating with Christians who are living like they're not Christians. Now, to be clear, he says, I'm not talking about those that don't know yet. I'm not talking about those that don't believe in Jesus. I'm not talking about them. Of course, you're going to associate them. They're your mission field. I'm talking about amongst the body of believers. He's saying, don't be hanging out with people who claim to be Christians, but who are living like they're not. What does that practically look like? Well, what does it practically look like? Well, here's what it practically looks like. Let's say hey, that you're hanging out with your Christian buddies in the dorm room and you're watching a movie and then somebody says, hey, I got some porn, let's watch that. You would say, hey, that's actually not for us. That's not for us. You would confront that sin. You'd say, hey, that's actually sin and it's not for us. And so if you guys are going to watch that, I'm going to leave. You would tell them that. You would point it out in hopes that they would repent and turn away. And you say, that's not for us. And you would turn and leave. Or let's say you were playing a pickup basketball game and your buddy was just cussing up a storm and acting harshly. You'd say, hey, bro, we shouldn't talk like that or act like that. And if he said, hey, man, this is a playground. Either get down or get gone. Whatever. Whatever cool thing. I don't, what do cool guys say, Jaime? I don't, I don't know. You don't know. I used to be cool a long time ago, but I, I lost it. Whatever he would say, if he would have said that to you, you'd be like, hey, man, I... I'm just going to hang out with that. This is like ruining our witness. This is making our testimony weak. Let's say you were out to brunch with your girlfriends and the talk turned to gossip or slander. I know that would never happen, but let's just pretend in some weird world that people would just talk in slander. Gossip would come. You would say, hey, we shouldn't be talking like this. This isn't helpful. This isn't good. This isn't how Christians speak. And if someone said, hey, lighten up, we're just venting, you'd say, hey, I'm going to get going. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ enough not to excuse their sin and be thankful when they don't excuse yours. Be thankful when they don't excuse yours. But what about those who are not yet Christians still living in sin? Well, here's what I want you to know about that. Biblical leaders love unbelievers in spite of sin. You just love them instead. They don't know any better. I was talking with Scott this morning, one of our elders, and he, he was talking to me about a situation. He goes, what, what would we do with this situation? And I was like, well, that person's not a Christian. We can't, we can't ask a Christian to do things that we as Christians do or think the way that we as Christians think or behave the way that we as Christians behave or have the values that we as Christians have. They, they don't know Jesus yet. I didn't have any of those values before I became a Christian. Why would I expect that of somebody else? This is what Paul says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not those inside the church whom you are to judge. 
Here's the reality. Paul's saying, hey, like in the church, inside the church, we're going to make some judgments. Matt Johnson is my best friend. And if he's doing stuff that I don't think is good for him or his wife, his family, like, like the church as an elder, I'm going to talk to him about it. And if I'm doing the same, he's going to talk to me about it. It's what we do. It's the first thing we do. When we talk to each other during the week, man, if there's sin in our lives, man, we, we, we are sensitive to it so that we can point it out for repentance. That's what we do, right? But I wouldn't judge the guy that I work with that doesn't know Jesus that way. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't even know Jesus. Paul's clear here. He simply has no judgment for those who are not yet Christians when it comes to how they live their life, and neither should we. Of course your buddy at work does things that you know he shouldn't do. He's not a Christian yet. He doesn't know Jesus yet. Of course, your friends at school are posting things on social media that you know they shouldn't post. They don't know Jesus yet. What would you expect of them? And while we don't participate in the sin of our friends that don't know Jesus, we certainly love them like Jesus did. Here's what Jesus did. He encountered sin one day. It's in John uh, chapter 7, verse 53 through 8, 11. I'm running long today. I'm not going to apologize. This is the sin sermon, and I'm glad you're here for it. This is what Jesus says. But when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Here's the thing. They bring in a woman who has been caught in adultery. She's been caught like it happened. They saw it. There's evidence. It's not an allegation. This has really happened. And so we'd be like, whoa, what's Jesus going to do now? Here's somebody that's actually sinning. Not we think they're sinning. Not we've heard reports that they might be sinning. No, she got caught. And they march her up there like, what's Jesus going to do to this woman that's been caught in adultery? So it says, uh, So they placed her in his midst, and they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Like, we we found it out. It happened. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some chance, some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. He says, hey, I guess you're right. So whichever one of you is sinless, go ahead and throw a stone at her. And then watch what happens. And they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Right? So now it's just Jesus who's perfect, and he's standing in front of a sinner. Now Jesus has all the right in the world to pick up a stone and throw it at her. Absolutely, he could do that. Is that the kind of thing Jesus would do? Clearly not. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Sin no more. We see the model in Jesus. You go to the sinner. You love the sinner. Jesus recognizes the sin. Jesus teaches that it is a sin. Jesus doesn't wink at the sinner or or say it's okay. He says, Go and stop sinning. And here is the thing. As Christians, we are called by Jesus to go teach, baptize, and disciple. We are going to those that don't know Jesus, and you can bet we'll find them sinning. Just like that's where you were found. When Brian, when Brian Brubaker first started telling me about Jesus, there was so much rampant sin in my life that the Romans would have blushed. There was so much rampant sin in my life, and I was so arrogant about it. All the sins that a 17-year-old can be involved in, that's what I was involved in. And when Brian came to me, that's exactly where he found me, and it's so good for me that he did. 
When we're teaching those that don't know Jesus, you can bet we'll find them sinning just like we were. Never forget that all have sinned and that your friends who don't know Jesus might not even know what sin is. So go to them in love. And finally, biblical leaders lead all sinners towards repentance. 1 Corinthians 5.13 says, God judges those out the side of the church, purge the evil person among you. It may seem like Paul is saying that this person should be put out of the church forever, but that's not the case. Paul says this person should be put outside the church so that he could see the sin in his life and ultimately repent. Repentance is always the goal when sin is recognized, confronted, and brought to life. We're never just out there to judge people. We want them to repent. We want them to understand that that thing that they're doing is going to lead to death, and we love them too much to watch them die. you got to love the people in your life so much that you don't want to watch them die. You don't want to watch the, the, the death that sin calls. Jesus instructed this even when sin happens between two brothers. In Matthew chapter 18, he wrote, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two other brothers along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Treat him as somebody who doesn't believe. And how do we treat someone who doesn't believe? Well, we love them until they can believe. What do we do with that person in our life that claims to be a Christian and is living in sin? We would walk up to him and say, hey, I think you're sinning. And if they're like, oh man, you're so right. Good, you've, you've helped them. You've ended that death early. And if they say, I don't think it's sin, you'd be like, well, here, I'm going to bring some other buddies over here. Not, not like we're, we're all saying it. This is sin. This thing is sin. This thing that you're doing is sin. And if they're like, forget it, I don't believe that anyway. Like, well, when are we going to tell the church? We'll bring the elders over. And if the elders look at your buddy and they're like, hey, dude, look at this scripture. Let's look at it together. Let's put it on the table. Let's, this is sin. And they're like, no, it's not sin. I, I'm sure it's not sin. I don't think God meant that. Then we would be like, oh, you're not a Christian. Well, now we know what to do. We're going to treat you like you're not a Christian. We're going to love you until you can believe. We're going to teach you until Jesus saved you. Here's what I want us to know, church. We are not sin hunting for condemnation. We are sin conscious for repentance and restoration. Biblical leaders don't condone sin. They recognize it as sin. They confront it as sin. They don't excuse the sins of other Christians. They love unbelievers in spite of sin. They lead all sinners toward repentance. And so the question I have for you this morning as you're sitting here in the sin sermon is, is there sin in your life? Is there sin in your life? If there is, and you're a Christian, believe and repent. It looks like this. Recognize that the sin is sin. It's not a habit. It's not a condition of your Enneagram number. It's, it's not how you were raised. It's sin. Just call it sin. Recognize it as sin. And then confront the sin as sin. Say this thing is sin and I'm going to kill it. My friend Jason will preach it like this. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Confront it. Don't make excuses for it saying it's not as bad as the person's sin uh, that, that I know or, or it's not as bad as the sin that I used to have. Don't become comfortable with it. Repent. Pray, God, this is sin and I'm sorry for it. Pray, God, I have sinned against you and then turn away from it. But what if there's sin in your life and you're not a Christian? What if you walked in here today and you're like, I, I didn't even know what sin was when I walked in. But when he started listing that stuff off, man, I got all that stuff. Hey, I had it all too. 
I had it all too. If there was a resume of sin, mine was full too. Long, three pages. Plenty of sin on there. Three pages. Three volumes. Repent and believe. Recognize your sin is sin. When you do the thing that God would not want you to do and you don't do the things that a perfect God would want you to do, that's sin and it will lead to death. At 18 years old, I was well aware of my sin long before I was able to believe Jesus could save me. Where I was at as an 18-year-old was, it's so bad, I don't know that Jesus could save me. It's so bad, I don't know that Jesus could want me. That's what I said to Brian Brubaker, and then he confronted that lie with the truth. No, God loves you so much that in spite of all this sin in your life, in spite of all the things that you've done, God sent Jesus down here on a rescue mission. He said, Mike, that, that thing where you're questioning whether or not God could want you, whether or not God could use you, whether or not God could save you because of how bad you are, that's a lie because God loved you so much that he sent Jesus down here. And while Jesus was here, he lived the perfect life that you never could. He died the horrific death that your sins deserve. And he defeated that death so that if you would believe in him, you could spend eternity with him. And he asked me, can you believe that? And then one day I believed. And maybe that's you today. And you're wondering, well, what can I do? What should I do? Well, I'll just tell you what I did. I pulled my car over on the side of County Road 31 and I prayed, God, I am a sinner. I'm not a bad dude or I'm not a morally bad dude or, a, or whatever. I am a sinner. I'm sinning and that sin is causing death in my life. It is keeping me far from you and I cannot save myself and I want you to save me. I believe you can save me. I admitted it. I confronted it. God, it's sin. I'm calling it what it is. It's sin. And then I said, I believe in your life, death, and resurrection and God, if you could save me, I would trust you to save me. I prayed, I repented, I believed. And shortly after that, I called Brian Brubaker and I said, you're not going to believe it. He made me a Christian today. And Brian goes, man, I couldn't believe it when it happened to me either. Maybe that's you today. Can you believe? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it convicts us at times. God, help us be aware of this sin in our own life. Help us to be aware, even in this moment, of the sin in our life and help us to recognize it as the sin that it is. Help us to remember, Lord, that left unchecked, it will just lead to a bigger and bigger death, that we're not getting away with anything, but that we don't have to get away with anything because you've already done everything. Help us to remember that when you sent Jesus down here when he lived the perfect life, when he died on that cross, he died for all of the sins we would ever commit, past, present, and future. So let us not walk around as people who are afraid of the sin in our life. Help us to turn, confront it, and repent, relying on you and the work of Jesus on the cross. And God, if there's anybody in this room today that is sitting in this place or listening to this sermon saying, I don't know if Jesus could save me. I don't know if he knows how bad I am or how much I've done or how much prevalent sin has in my life. Lord, give them the faith to believe. Give them the faith to trust in you that they could never out your grace. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.